about you, but I am just so thankful for our brothers and sisters who lead us in worship uh, every Sunday, and uh, I'm just very thankful. Yeah, we can just say thank you, Jesus, for, for the opportunity to worship him. Uh, my name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team. I want to invite you to grab your notes out of your handout, and you will see that we are continuing in a series. We've been tracking with it through the month of December. We're going to wrap it up on our Christmas Eve services this coming Saturday. That's right. It's just coming on Saturday, Christmas Eve. And so we're very excited about celebrating Christmas with you and with your friends and with your family members and with uh, all of our community members who, who like to, to kind of peek in and see what it is that's happening here. Um, I'm very, very excited. I hope you can see that I'm very, very excited. Okay. Now, uh, what I want to do is I just want to say that in terms of where this series has gone, we've, we've recognized that there's a, Christ, uh, a question rather that lingers in the air this part of the year. And the question is, what do you want for Christmas? And so we've been talking about that, analyzing it, the title of the series, what I really want for Christmas. And what we've been doing is talking about how that phrase is actually a bit misleading. There are things in that phrase that are simply wrong, that, that, that don't communicate a real clear picture. For example, um, what I really want for Christmas, we talked about two, a couple weeks ago, it's not a what at all, it's a who. That we really want a flourishing of our relationships with our loved ones. We talked about the who of Jesus actually is the reason why our relationships can flourish. So it's not what I really want for Christmas. It's who, the who of flourishing relationships. Last week, what we talked about is the really want, what I really want for Christmas. And we recognize that what we think we really want is often not what we really want. And it's not until we get what we think we really want that we realize it wasn't what we really want. And, and, and so that's kind of a deal. We don't understand our desires. We, don't, um, we, we actually settle for, for cheap and shallow and shortcut when God wants us to plumb our desires, to kind of follow them down and delve into the deep because our desires actually lead us to him. And when we think about what we want, the truth is that typically the way that we answer that question, very consumeristic, uh, very items and, and uh, you know, gadgets kind of an answer, and we don't recognize the difference between what we want and what we really need, what is desired and what is really needful. And it's important for us to recognize that because the Bible actually never, ever promises us that God gives us what we want, but it is really clear that God provides what we need. Look what the scripture says here in Philippians 4.19. Uh, the apostle Paul writes, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. You might want to circle that phrase, my God will meet all your needs. Now, the, the big question is, well, do we trust this? Do we, do we trust him? Do we trust that God will meet all of our needs? And, and this is a very practical question. It's a question we have to ask ourselves day in and day out, come to the answer, because when we don't trust that God will meet all of our needs, what we inevitably end up doing is seeking to meet our needs ourselves. 
We're the ones, not content to wait on God, not content to trust in the Lord. We then reach out and we grab things with our own hands, try to meet our own needs, and often we end up making a mess of things. So let me just ask a question. We did this poll in the last service, had several very honest answers to this. And so I want to ask by show of hands, and again, you're in church, you you can be safe to be honest here. Uh, How many of you... In, in any time in your life, how many of you snuck down to the Christmas tree and picked up the packages addressed to you and shook them and weighed them and tried to figure out what it was just so you could be sure you got what you wanted? Anybody who did that? Okay, a lot of hands, a lot of hands. That's right. Now, how many of you, this is kind of one step escalating, how many of you actually unwrapped a gift and played with it and then rewrapped it? I see that hand. I see that hand. That's right, they're very sneaky, honest people all around here. Now let's escalate it one step further. How many of us, because you didn't trust that someone was going to get you what you wanted for Christmas, how many of you bought yourself a Christmas present any time in your life? Oh my goodness, look, there is so much brokenness in this room right now. And it's, it's very funny to, to talk about Christmas gifts like this and to kind of analyze it from, from this. But, but let me tell you, it's not just with Christmas gifts. It, there are ways in which we don't trust God. We're not content to trust God or his timing. And so we end up grabbing things for ourselves, trying to meet our needs ourselves. And this is what happens, let's say, in a, a businessman who decides to take uh, risky deals or, or decides to take a little shortcut with the paperwork or the taxes just because there's just maybe not a total trust that God actually will work through a business run with integrity. Or, or maybe in a season, maybe you're single right now or in a season when you were single and you desired to be in a relationship, you desired to, to be in a marriage and yet you weren't content to wait on the Lord, to trust in the Lord's timing. And so you kind of, you, t- you took opportunities into your own hands and you ended up, you know, connecting with people that maybe you knew weren't good for your soul or you knew weren't good for your faith or you knew that they weren't um, good to build you up emotionally and, and, and yet you went ahead and you, you just, you try to do that on your own and you end up making a mess of things. Do you see how this this can work, right? And, and so I just, I, I want you to see that it really does all boil down to trust. It boils down to this trust factor of do I trust that God will provide what is needed? So that's the promise, that God will provide what is needed. And so I want you to take a look at that phrase again, the title of the message, what I really want for Christmas. And today, I want to focus on the word that really does have a lot to do with trust, and it's the preposition in the phrase, the, the, the word is for. And how we're going to analyze it is this, that when people say, what do you want for Christmas, or what I want for Christmas, they really mean the exact opposite of what the preposition actually means. Because when you say what, what I want for Christmas, you're not saying what I want to give to Christmas. You're not saying what I want to offer to Christmas. You're saying what? What I want to receive from Christmas. From Christmas, I want these toys. From Christmas, I want these gifts. From Christmas, I want these experiences. We're we're saying we're on the receiving end. So that question, what do you want for Christmas, it's really a wrong question. It should be, what do you want from Christmas? 
And, and obviously, we don't say that because we don't want to make the whole season about what you get or what our kids get. But really, that's where so much of the framework is. We're, we're thinking about what do we want to receive from Christmas. And, and there's two parts of this reality. One is a hard part. One is a, a good part. The hard part is this. Because we want to receive so much from Christmas, we end up putting a lot of pressure on ourselves. And we work really hard and we spend a whole lot of money and we run around trying to get all the right things and do all the right things and make sure that we've built all the right traditions in place because we've got all of this pressure to make that magic something happen or that traditional something happen or that nostalgic something happen. And because we so dearly want this from the Christmas experience, we end up putting a ton of pressure on ourselves. So this is not a message that will put pressure on you. But the good part about this question is, is just this, that God actually does want you to receive something from Christmas this year. God actually does have gift giving in mind to you. He, he wants you to receive from Christmas. It's why he started this whole thing in the first place. And so we're going to look into what that is. But before I get into that, really quickly, I want to talk about the stages of how we experience Christmas. And this is on your notes, three stages of how we experience Christmas, the youthful stage, the adolescent stage, and the mature stage. By the way, I stole these from Pastor Willie George out of Oklahoma. And uh, I, I do just want to let you know, um, this is, these are not original thoughts that I have. And to be clear, when I ever have an original thought, we will host a party. I will be so excited about that. But, but most of what I have is what I would call researched. You might call plagiarized. I, I think that most people don't really care where the chef gets the recipe as long as the meal tastes delicious. And so I, my job to serve the meal, your job hopefully is to, uh, I don't know what your job is. Okay, so the analogy just ran out right there. But here's what I want to do. I want to talk about these three stages, youthful stage, adolescent stage, and mature stage of how we experience Christmas. And it's pretty much what you would expect. The youthful stage, think about being a four-year-old, a five-year-old. They are predominantly excited, right? There is this incredible amount of anticipation. There is this intense conviction and belief about all of the ways that Christmas happened and all of the magic that surround Christmas, and there's so much excitement. And so you know, right, Christmas morning, they're the first ones up. They're peering over the edge of the balcony, looking down. There's the tree. There's the stockings. They see the truckload of gifts, and they are out of their minds, right? They're just absolutely so happy about that experience. That's the youthful stage. Very, very fun stage to be in, by the way. Now, adolescent stage, just a little different. It's not marked by happiness. Predominantly, it's marked by misery, and the reason for it is really simple. They're, they're not kids anymore. You've got to imagine this is your 14-year-old, your 15-year-old. And they're not kids anymore, and yet they remember how awesome and magical it was when they were kids, but they're just not there anymore because they've grown. And they have peeked behind the curtain, and they have seen the Wizard of Oz, and they know how it all works. And, and so there's, there's no magic there anymore, and they wish there was magic, but there's not magic. And, and what this does is it, 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 it creates what I would call an unacknowledged misery 
or, or unspoken longing that they have, and that unacknowledged misery manifests itself in all kinds of complaints. All kinds of this is wrong, it's the wrong gift, it's the wrong size, it's the wrong color, it's the wrong brand, it's the wrong game, uh, it's the wrong whatever, it's the wrong tradition, it's the wrong meal, everything is wrong. Very me first mentality in this adolescent stage. And it's just where they are. Many of you know that I have two teenagers and a preteen in my home. And uh, I won't use any names for this part of the true story, but uh, I will tell you this, that that one of my children, after uh, all day opening Christmas presents, looked around and said, when I look at these gifts, I just think nobody even knows who I am. <laughs> oh, ah, here, would you like your knife back? One of the children in my home, we affectionately refer to as the holiday Nazi. Because after every holiday, we inevitably have a conversation with this child about how mom and dad, despite our best efforts, we just didn't pull it off well. And uh, this was an actual quote. I just feel like we missed Christmas this year. <laughs> now, just so you know, my wife and I, Jody, we really do work hard. We're very intentional. We try to be very thoughtful about how we celebrate different holidays and different seasons. And so, I mean, I just want you to know, it's not like we throw her uh, or him a gas card and say, hey, Merry Christmas. You know, it's like, like the, the, the idea is there's a lot of thought and intentionality about how we do things. And so it's just one of those deals. And I'm not saying this to whine. I, I love my family. They're my favorite people on the planet. But, but I want you to understand, that's where adolescents are. That's, that's the stage that they're in. And now you get to the mature stage. Now, the mature stage, it's not youthful excitement about what they receive, and it's not complain about how it's not perfect. The mature stage is actually a deeper, richer, more joyful stage because it's not at all about what you get. It's all about what you give. And so the mature stage is about creating the magic memories and the magic moments for the loved ones and for the, the young and for the adolescent. And, and it's about how do I give and how thoughtful can I be and how can I approach this from a serving mentality and, and what can we prepare that will taste delicious and what can we build that will be a, a, a rich tradition. And, and, and this level of maturity, when you get to this place, I want you to understand it's not happy like the youthful stage, but it's joyful and satisfying in a way that none of the other stages are. And I want you to think about our holiday mythologies and how they actually affirm this transition. You think about how the Grinch stole Christmas. And, and the entire thing is about this very adolescent, me-first, miserable, jealous kind of a heart. So much so that because he doesn't experience Christmas, he wants to ruin it for everybody else. Steals all the toys. You know the story. He, he takes them all the way up to his mountain by himself. He's going to destroy Christmas for the Who's down in Whoville. And he can't. And they still worship. They still sing. They're still excited about being together. And his little heart grows four sizes that day. And he returns all of the gifts and all the decorations, and it's the Grinch himself that slice, slices the roast beast, right? And so what does he do? He moves from that adolescent stage into the mature stage. Same thing with Scrooge, Ebenezer Scrooge in A Christmas Carol. 
Right? He, he's, in, he's stuck in that miserly adolescent stage, and yet by the end of the book, he is experiencing more joy and more satisfaction. Why? Because it's not about what he gets. It's now about what he can give, how he can serve. So a beautiful thing to think about these three stages of how people experience Christmas, how we experience Christmas. But uh, real quickly, I want to say this is also the three stages of how we experience our faith journey. So real quickly, the youthful stage of our faith journey, you're brand new. You're just experiencing this richness of a relationship with Jesus Christ. You're just understanding the wonder of being in this relationship of love with the Lord of the universe. And so when you gather together, worship is amazing and transcendent. And you get in, in your small group and you're discovering biblical truths you never were aware of before. And it's so exciting and there's so much wisdom there and so much challenge and encouragement. And you can't believe that you get a chance to be a part of the mission of God by giving generously to the church. You can't imagine how what a privilege it is to serve and to offer your time in order to help the mission of God roll forward. And it's just all fun. It's all exciting. It's all anticipation. And it's all happiness, right? It's wonderful to be in that youthful stage of faith. And then we grow through it, right? We're around for a while. And we get in that adolescent stage. And that adolescent stage, we know some things that we didn't when we were in the youthful stage. We've learned that in the family of God, we, what we thought was everybody would just be perfect, almost like angels on earth, and yet realize, no, we're still human beings. There's still warts and all, right? And, and you sort of see after maybe a couple of years, you see how, how, oh, I see, you know, we always do this around Easter. We always do this around Christmas. You've learned some of the biblical truths, and now you're, you're hearing them and seeing them incorporated. So they're not as new. It's not as much discovery. And then in your small group, you recognize, because you've spent time with people, now you realize, oh, I can see some of their flaws. I see some of their immaturities. I see occasional hypocrisies, right? And again, as an adolescent, you're not recognizing that those are the things that you have in yourself as well. That's why you can see them so easily in the other people. And of course, why would, why would I give? I don't have extra money to give. Why, why, would I, why would the pastor talk about giving to the church? Does God even want me to give? Why does God want me to give? And serving, gosh, the question is not where should I serve? The question is who's serving me, right? And I'm not saying all this because every church experience is perfect. I, don't, I think no church experience is perfect. We can all grow as a, as a church uh, community, and, and I recognize that. But I just want you to hear this, that if, if in your church community, whether it's here at Overlake or any other church community, you're in a faith community, and your primary response is picking out what's wrong and complaining, if you are convinced that you're the most mature follower of Jesus in any gathering of Jesus' followers, the chances are good you're not as mature as you think you are. The reality is every 14-year-old thinks they're brilliant. And so just understand that it, that, that is a phase, that adolescent phase, but that's not the phase we want to hang out in. We want to grow through it into the mature phase. We want to grow through it into the stage where we operate out of maturity. And what is that? It's not about what we receive from our faith community. It's about what? What we can offer our faith community. 
It's about what we can give. It's about how we can serve. It's about creating those experiences for others and setting the, the table so that true transcendent worship can take place and, and giving to support the mission of God because you recognize how valuable it is that it continues to roll forward and serving, being a part, an active part of what it takes to pull off God's mission here on the east side in Seattle and then in our projects around the world. And, and you want to be a part of that and you consider it a great honor to be a part of it. Why? Because when when you're a part of it, you're experiencing a joy and a satisfaction that is so rich, it doesn't even compare to when you were experiencing your faith in the youthful stage. You see, that's what God wants us to do, grow through these stages so that we'll have a rich and vibrant experience of what it looks like to journey with Jesus. And by the way, I would just ask the question, don't raise any hands, I don't want any answers shouted out, but you're somewhere in this. Where do you self-identify? So where, where do you think you are along this spectrum? And, and I do want you to know, this is why Pastor Gary and I wrote the Rooted curriculum and why we, why we established this Rooted class, because we want to make sure that we have a pathway to help everybody take those steps along that journey of growing through toward maturity. But I would declare to you, there is magic for us to step into around Christmas. There, this incredible gift that we are to receive from Christmas, and this is what God wants for us. It's a part of his gift to us. But, it, but it, we really experience it as we press through these stages into deeper and deeper maturity. You'll see these qualities are more and more available. If you're filling in the blanks, these are what we really want from Christmas. And the first blank is the ability to be mindful the ability to be present where you are. You've heard the phrase, wherever you are, be all there. And I want to tell you that Christmas can be a form of either medication. It can serve as a distraction from an undercurrent strain of frustration or pain. Or it can be meditation. And, and I would say this is when you're just sitting with a loved one and watching the twinkling lights on a tree. When you're breathing deep and letting your whole self Seek to be where you are with your loved ones to appreciate the beauty of the moments that God gives you. It's really hard to be there, but it's really good to be there. And so we want the ability to be mindful and present. And if you open the pages of Scripture and you read the, the ministry of Jesus, what you will see is that no one was more present or mindful than Jesus himself. In fact, he, he was so present as he would interact with people, he would listen not only to their words, but he would listen to the cry of their hearts. He, he would speak to them directly and specifically. And there was so much of Jesus present in the moment, looking people in the eye, caring for them compassionately, that oftentimes people were overwhelmed. They didn't know how to respond. You think about Jesus walking down the street, seeing a man in the tree, and instantly saying, Zacchaeus, come down, I'm going to your house today. And Zacchaeus is overwhelmed. It's life-changing. It's transformative. You, you can imagine Jesus, and, and he is with the leper. And he does what no one else has ever done in this leper's life. He touches him and, and brings healing and brings affirmation, restores dignity to this man. You can imagine Jesus as he's with Mary, the brother of Lazarus, and she's weeping at his graveside, and you see Jesus, 
and he begins to weep with her. You just recognize that Jesus was absolutely present in the moment. He wasn't thinking about the next thing. He wasn't thinking about the to-do list. He wasn't thinking about who is a more important person for me to talk to than this person I'm talking to right now. No, this was the moment that he wanted to be in. This was the moment that he invested in. You see, he, he heard not only what people said, but he heard the cries of their heart as well. And this is why Overlake experimented just a few days ago with what we call the Christmas Lament Service. And it's definitely something that we want to do again, but, but it's that recognition that in this season when everyone is festive, when everyone seems to be so filled with joy, that there's also a recognition that there's grief. And so we wanted to seek to, to care for that and to speak to that and to, to bring Jesus into that conversation. But friends, not only did Jesus live a, a higher quality, not only was he, was he more mindful and more present, but this abundance that he lived, he offers to us. In John chapter 10, verse 10, this is what Jesus said. He says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's what he offers to us. And so I just want to encourage us, let's receive this abundance that Jesus has, this mindfulness, this presence that he offers us. And let's enjoy it during the season of Christmas. Let me give you one practical challenge that you can bring into your holiday settings, wherever they may be, whoever you may be hanging with. And this is a practical challenge, that you would spend hours with your loved ones, your friends, without any screen time interrupting you. So, that, so you'd put away the laptops, you put away the tablets, you put away the smartphones, and you just stare at one another silently. Right? Because even as I, I, I talk about putting the cell phones away, some of you are starting to get anxious already. You're like, what would I say? What would I do? I got to check Facebook. You know, we're, we're trained right now. Technology is so weird. It promises us deeper connection, right? It, it promises us a deeper connection with one another. Social networks, right? That's the whole thing. And yet it doesn't actually bring connection. It brings simulations of connection. And we're more comfortable with the simulations of connection than we actually are with one another. I found a statistic this week that the average American touches, taps, or swipes their phone 2,600 times a day. 2,600 times a day. So instead of us spending the holidays being together alone in our private technology caves... You could all be sitting on the couch together, but if you're in the screen, you're alone. And so let's put those away, and let's spend some time really connecting with one another, being mindful and present, appreciating the interaction we're having with each other. Okay, that's the challenge. It's the first thing we can receive from Christmas. The second thing, if you're filling in the blanks, to receive from Christmas this year, we want the space to be loving as well. We want the space to be loving and to be loved I uh, was with my family this week. We ate at a Vietnamese pho restaurant, and after the meal, my fortune cookie advised me the best way to receive love is to give love. And I want to tell you, that was delicious and true, right? The best way to receive love is to give love, and that's also a biblical concept as well. This is what Jesus says. Jesus says, a new command I give you. Love one another 
as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And it's interesting that Jesus says, uh, he, he doesn't compare the way that you've been loved by others as they have loved you, you must love one another. What he says is, as I have loved you. That's the, the model that I want to say. As I have loved you consistently, without limit, unconditionally, that's how I want you to love one another. And then he says, hey, you must love one another. This is not like kind of casual. It's not just a suggestion. Um, this is not an option if we choose to follow Jesus. In fact, the effectiveness of the local church really is dependent upon how well Jesus' followers are able to love one another. And that's what Jesus has displayed for us. John 15, 9, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain, remain in my love. Pastor Pat was telling me a story this week. On Tuesday night, he was over at a, uh, a little bit of a Christmas party. It was the Refresh community. That's the uh, adoption and foster care community here. And they were having a Christmas party together and it was filled with donated gifts. There were so many toys and gifts. And so everybody was able to, to grab some gifts for, for kids and foster kids. And it just was a really fun night. And as Pat was leaving, he just uh, was, uh, he saw one of the leaders there, Andrew. Andrew's a refreshed leader. He also is an attorney. He runs the uh, Children's Law Center of Washington. And, and he just saw Andrew and he said, hey, Andrew, you know, good night. I love you, man. And Andrew, just without a beat, said, oh, good night, Pat. Love you too, bro. And Pat walked out to the car and he was thinking about that phrase. And he was thinking about how he grew up in a home where that wasn't expressed directly. That there was a lot of love in the home that Pat grew up in. He knew that. He felt love. They, they, were, they, they all loved one another. They just never said it. And Pat was thinking about how much this church family has changed the way that he processes life. The way that he interacts. That there's love for everyone at Overlake. And, and, and we're not afraid to communicate that. So it's just very, very cool. Jesus commands us this. He says, as I have loved you, as the Father loves me. And then look what it says in Romans 12, 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. You might want to circle that last phrase. Outdo one another. You know, not too often in the Bible we're told to outdo one another. Competition, like some of you are very competitive. I, I'm a little competitive, so I, I, I get this, and I, and I like competition. And, uh, but it's interesting, right? It didn't make the, um, the list of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, competition. Uh, a little sad that it didn't make that list, but it didn't. And yet here, it, it, the Bible is really clear that we're to outdo one another. How? In loving one another. We're to outdo one another. How? In, in showing honor for one another, that, that this can actually be something that would spur us on to greater and greater ways in which we love and show honor. And one of the, the, the ways that we can show honor in this season especially is by giving thoughtful gifts. Uh, let me be really clear. I'm not talking about expensive gifts, but thoughtful gifts that show honor, right? Gift giving that says, I was thinking about you, or I notice things that you appreciate, or I see some of the things that you need, or I know some of the things that fit who you are. You know, one of the things that I, I find is that writing a note, a thoughtful, 
care-filled note is becoming a, a, a thing of the past. And so anytime somebody sits down to actually write a note, there's an incredible amount of thoughtfulness in that. So I'm not talking about spending more money. I'm talking about showing honor, being thoughtful and caregiving. Uh, this next verse, 1 Corinthians 16, 14 says, Let all that you do be done with love. So everything that we're going after in this season, let's let it be filled with love. Mother Teresa says this, I'm a little pencil in the hand of a writing God who is sending a love letter to the world. I'm a little pencil in the hand of a writing God. Many of you knew she was, she was just tiny, tiny little nun, just fit in your pocket kind of a nun, right? Just a little pencil she was. And yet her whole life was this beautiful love story from God. So friends, as people look at your life, they see the way that you're living. They see the choices that you make and your demeanor, your personality. Are you writing a love letter from God to them? Let all that we do be filled with love. A new command I give you, Jesus, is love one another. This is what we can receive from Christmas, the space to be loving. We can receive the ability to be mindful. And, and the third thing, if you're filling in the blanks, from Christmas, we can receive the chance to harvest memories. The chance to harvest memories. And we have so many things to distract us that demand our attention. It's interesting that hundreds and hundreds of times in the scriptures, we are commanded to remember. We're commanded to, to harvest memories and, and to prize memories. And specifically memories about how God has interacted with us, shown his love to us. Psalm 77, 11 says, Then I recall all you've done, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. And if you think about the purpose of holidays for a moment, you realize that every holiday, the reason why we have a holiday is to remember something, to, to create value and honor around something, a memory that we would hold. So just this is true in ancient Israel, right? And so that's the feasts and the celebrations they would have throughout the year. But it's true in our culture as well. I mean, think about Mom's Day, right? Mother's Day. What's, what's that to honor? It's to remember and value the role of moms in our lives. Independence Day, what's that? It's to remember the beginning of our, our nation and to, to honor the freedoms that we enjoy and so often take for granted. Thanksgiving, what is it? It's to remember the amount of blessing and provision that God has given us and to thank him for that. And then Christmas, what's it? It's about remembering the gift of heaven in Jesus given to us by God, right? We remember we remember. And just the recognition that life is passing by so fast, so many things that are getting our attention, so many things to experience, so many difficult things that, that we go through, yet we are not grasping hold of those things because the thing that's so true is it's passing. It is passing. Life is flying by. Like one of the great saints of Overlake, a man named Bill Huey, he used to always say, life is but a vapor. And it's true. It's true. It's biblical. Job says this, Job 7, 7. It says, oh, remember that my life is a breath. It's here today, gone tomorrow, right? It's so quick, this experience we have called life. So we need to hold on to the things that are quality, the things that are good, the things that are, that are wonderful. 
I guess the point of all this is that time keeps on ticking, ticking, ticking <laughs> into the future. And so we are to gather ye rosebuds while ye may. And in this case, rosebuds are these beautiful quality memories that we have of spending time with our loved ones, loving and being loved, being mindful, being present. And I'm talking about harvesting real memories, friends, not fake memories. You, you know what I mean by fake memories. These are experiences where you're with a bunch of people, friends or family members, and everyone's kind of out of sorts, and there's a lot of bickering and fighting. Your kids are at each other's throats, but you're at the nutcracker, so you smile, take a selfie, and post it online, and you pretend it was a wonderful family event, and it wasn't, right? And, and you know it, and, and that's not the kind of memory that I'm talking about here. The other thing that I'm not talking about is I'm not talking about creating more activities for you to do, building more into your schedule, doing more or spending more money in order to create memories. That's, that's not what I'm talking about at all. I'm actually talking about just noticing the opportunities that God is already bringing to you and then harvesting those. I'll give you one example from my own life. My kids go to school at three different times in the morning. My high schooler catches the bus at 626. My middle schooler catches the bus at 726. And my sixth grader catches the bus at 835. That's a big morning right there. And how my wife and I kind of do it is we, we, we trade off. So several mornings in the week, I will be the one who gets up with the kids, gets their breakfast, gets their lunches, and gets them on the bus. And, and I love it. It's great. It's good. We got a good system going. But it's a, long, it's, a, it's a long stretch. So I don't know if you know this, but it's been really dark in the mornings. Actually, and in the afternoons. And in the late mornings. Uh, there's like an hour around noon that's really nice. Anyway, uh, it was a cold, dark morning. And so I, I lit a fire in the fireplace in our living room which is next to our Christmas tree, had the lights on the tree and the fire in the fireplace. And, and then I just set up my, I was having my time with the Lord and journal experience there. And then for a while I had my computer out, I was working on a message or something. And, and over the course of the morning, first my high schooler came and sat on the couch with me, put a blanket over and just kind of snuggled for a while. And you know, the interesting thing about a fire is um, there's, there's nothing to do with it. You just watch it, you know. It's just that, like, and then you're just with each other. And so first my high schooler, and then I got her on the bus, and then next my middle schooler came and sat, and just hung out for a while and talked. And then my sixth grader, same thing, came and just sat. And just while the fire's going the whole time, just kind of crackling and, and the trees on. And the whole time, I'm thinking, Mike, remember this. Capture this, man. You've got to harvest this. Because you know as well as I. A lot of mornings are just hectic. A lot of mornings are just rushing around, and you're always too late, and you're trying to miss the, make the bus, or sometimes you miss the bus. I, we miss the bus, well, I, you know. And a lot of moments are like that. And so when God gives us a moment, We've got to just, we've got to receive it. We've got to harvest it. 
appreciate it, right? And it's that challenge that we would be mindful in the moment. And I do want you to know, friends, as we wrap this up, that Christmas is about remembering Jesus. But there would be no Christmas if he didn't remember you first. You see, he is the one who remembered us first. He was not content to leave us distant. He was not content to leave us alone, to leave us in the dark, to leave us lost. He remembered us first. And so he came and and communicated his love to us. He is loving. He was loving first. Before we ever thought to love God, he was loving us. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. He, he loved us first. He remembered us first. And he was mindful and present with us first. You see, everything that God wants us to receive from Christmas, Jesus has modeled for us. And so what I want to do is I want to spend some time right now praising him and honoring him. And, and so I just want to ask you to stand. Would you stand with me? We're going to we're going to close and we're going to praise Jesus together. Christmas gives us an excuse to practice these things, to practice these gifts that we receive from Jesus, to practice being mindful, to practice being loving, to practice harvesting good memories. And this is only possible because of Jesus. It's only possible because he is the reason that we have Christmas to begin with. So why don't we bow our heads right now and and let's praise him. And Jesus, we do ask that you would help us. We ask that you would help us to really richly mine this season. We don't want to just rush through. We don't want to miss it. But we want to harvest memories that you provide for us. We, we want to have loving experiences with our, our significant relationships, with the relationships that you desire to flourish in our lives. And, and most of all, we want to be mindful and present, knowing that you are with us. You are God with us, Jesus. And we are so thankful that you are with us. So please help us, Lord. And we want to do all these things because we do want to honor you. We want to glorify you. We want to worship you. And we'll do that right now, Lord. Thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for meeting our needs. We do trust you. And we ask that you would lead us through these stages into a place where we are mature before you. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.